Good evening, church. North Shore, I love you. I love you. I love coming here. This is the happiest church I've ever worshipped with. Um, I've been. uh, This is the first time my wife has been able to come with me, and um, we just love you guys. We pray for you as a church regularly at La Plata Baptist Church. I love your pastor and his family, and um, every time I come, I think I meet new and make new uh, new friends. And uh, we love this church. We're so grateful for this outpost, this, this witness of the kingdom of God here in New York City. And uh, what a joy it is to be with you tonight. Uh, let's pray. Let's open in prayer now. Our great God and Father, there's been tremendous joy in the room. And we give you the credit. This, you, the Holy Spirit, has worked this joy into the lives of these people And Lord, it's so precious. So many churches, Lord, are without this kind of joy and celebration of Jesus and love for one another. And so, Lord, we pray you would continue to cultivate that here tonight. And Lord, even in the midst of joy, Lord, we're still sinners. We still need the Word of God. We need our minds renewed. And so, God, help me to preach the Word tonight and exalt the Lord Jesus for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Seeing the children walk out tonight, I'm reminded that growing up in church, we sang uh, Father Abraham. Do y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You got it. We're not going to stand up and do the arms and everything tonight. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when someone starts a pattern that sticks, they're often called the father of all those who follow after them. You know, Archimedes is father of mathematics. James Brown, the godfather of funk. Ed Moore, father of ties and socks. <laughs> but the Bible reveals there is a surprising character who is the father, the pattern starter of all who would be saved by grace through faith, and his name is Abraham. Church, do you need encouragement tonight in light of your sins? Do you need encouragement that God loves you and that he is faithful? God reveals Abram, Abraham, and he wants you to remember, not so you would think Abram was great, but that you might think that God is great. Tonight's context is on the heels of that great victory that Ed preached to you about last week over Lot's captors. But now what does it all mean? Abram now appears to be discouraged about his own future prospects. You see, even after great victories, there can be hard, fresh realities. Abram still has no offspring. Abram is weary. Does God love me? Is God for me? I know I just went full Optimus Prime on my enemies, but man, it just seems like I'm still cursed to barrenness. Let's look now at Genesis 15. Hear now God's holy word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not, did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites. This is God's Word. You can note the pattern. I'm sure you saw the pattern. God's Word comes, and Abraham responds time and time again. Yes, this is a critical passage in the Bible. Thanks for giving me this one, Ed. Um, It contains one of the key doctrines in all the Bible, namely, sinners are saved by grace through faith, through God's judicial right, to credit his people with righteousness that comes from the person and work of Christ. Yes, this passage reveals to us the nature of a covenant of grace whereby God alone fulfills the terms of the agreement to save, redeem, and reward. And yes, this passage has major eschatological ramifications because God promises it all to Abraham, which is fulfilled in Christ in the new heavens and new earth. Yes, this passage speaks to the accommodating nature of God and how he chooses to reveal himself to creatures, human beings like us. Yes, yes, and yes. But folks, it's Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night with the good people of North Shore, and I'm not some scholar, I'm a small church pastor, and I want to think, how can I boil this down for us simply so we can be encouraged and God's word honored? How can I exalt Jesus best? Well, the passage has a tone of kindness all throughout, for all the reasons I mentioned above, in their doctrine and themes uh, present here, blessings towards Abram that go towards us, all of us who believe. North Shore, tonight, I want to exhort you, let's be encouraged at God's amazing kindness. And I have four C's tonight. The covering, the counting, the calling, the certifying. The covering, the counting, the calling, 
the certifying, and it's all given to you tonight by Garrett Connor. That's C-O-N-N-E-R, not O-R. All right, number one, the covering. You see, God, God here accommodates a fearful and anxious man here with this amazingly timely word. Every time we pick up the Bible or sit under God's word, we should expect help, encouragement, and comfort by faith. This is coming off. Can you still hear me? I'll keep going. What does God reveal to Abram and to all who have ears to hear? It's simple right here. God is our covering. He is our shield. He is our salvation. And if you trust in Him, He will be your very great reward. So much of the text centers around this first assertion at the very beginning. From that assertion at the beginning of the passage, it's just the river flows of blessings right from there. Glories that follow. Abram's early mistakes and his initial victories lie in the past. He needs encouragement now. He needs his mind renewed right now by God's word. And God brings the word of encouragement to him. He questions whether God's promise of a son, you know, which is in turn the key to the promise of land, will ever be fulfilled. And so in response to Abram's anxiety, God reiterates the promise. Lord, are you going to leave me? Are my failures of the past going to nullify your promises? Have I missed up too much, God? Can you still do good things with even me, Lord? You ever been there? Ever been so down by suffering through past guilt? And pressing circumstances, God's word, God's word comes to Abram. He says, Abraham, I've got you. I'm your everything, Abram. I've got you covered because I chose to love you. Don't you forget it. You believe it. You know how important these promises are to us. Oh, they're so precious. These things were written down for us so that we too would be encouraged to keep trusting. You know, the pilgrim's uh, progress tells of an unfortunate detour that Christian and Hopeful take on their way to the celestial city. They wind up in prison uh, by the giant despair after wandering into his land. Each day passing uh, grows worse and worse until Christian begins to believe that perhaps the only way out of his situation is to die. But then Christian awakens with a newfound perspective. What a fool I am to thus lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise. And he takes the key out of his pocket, opens the prison door, and releases himself and his friend from the prison. Door after door that had barred their escape opens with ease as Christian uses the keys of promise to pass each barrier. Friends, what do you think has happened to Abram right here? He's getting the key. Tonight God speaks to those of you in a season of long-suffering and disappointment. He reveals who He is and He says, do not fear, I got you. How powerful that God would speak that grace into our lives. I need to hear that. Where do broken people find hope? We find it in God's fulfillment of His Word. And that Word is Christ. He is our shield and covering from judgment. And Jesus is our reward. He is my rock, my strength, my song. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. But I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abram and us too must embrace the abundant life that Jesus came to earth, lived and achieved for us, died and achieved for us, and rose again for us to have in Him. I am your shield. I am your shield. You can circle that in your Bible tonight. It tells us how to think about God 
from the beginning of the passage. How am I to think about God from the beginning of this passage? I am your shield. He did not fear if God will finish what he has started. Church, look at this beautiful beginning. God could have started off with his omnipotence, his omniscience. He could have started off with his majesty, his justice, his omnipresence, all those other perfections. But he comes to shaken, fearful, weary Abram and says, Fear not, I am with you, nor be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. I didn't know y'all were going to sing that tonight. But man, the Holy Spirit works out things in our lives. One of the great things about being a, a dad is the privilege of being the protector and assurer of my sons, especially when they are little. Can you all still hear me? All right. That's one of the great privileges of being a dad, to be a protector and to assure them. Son, you're going to have to let the doctor put those large needles in your legs. Son, they're going to have to take out your appendix. Son, you're going to have to jump to me. Son, you can sleep next to mom and I tonight. I will take care of you. Many parents can remember those tender moments when that little one goes from trembling to calm as they rest in their care. God's Spirit speaks to our fears and anxieties, beloved, tonight. Friends, maybe tonight you're afraid of outcomes. Uh, Maybe you're unsure if God is for you and the Father says to you tonight, I am your covering. I am your shield. Don't you forget it. Believe it. God loves you. When anxiety rises, I need to hear, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth upon Him shall not perish, but but will be shielded and covered and have everlasting life. Praise God. I have a shield. And if you know Christ tonight, so do you. His name is the Lord of armies. His name is Jesus. And He has shielded me from wrath and from the sting of death. There's no shield like Jesus. There's no covering like my Jesus. Only because of Jesus I can sing, Oh death, where is your sting? Jesus bore it all. He bore my sins and the wrath due to me. Uh, Jesus is the shield that protects us. The sword we boast in. Our spiritual enemies cringe before us because of Jesus. And we are more than conquerors in Christ. North Shore, let's be encouraged at God's amazing Kindness, the covering. Number two, the counting. The counting. Verses two through six is where I'm going to focus now. I love the honest portrayals of the heroes of the faith in the Bible. There's no Instagram filter for them. Abram was doubtful and as, and as pathetic as we can be. You know we can be like that, right? Look at, Lord, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, I do wonder if Eliezer was nearby when he was praying this out loud. I heard that. Wow. The focus on Abraham's doubts here are real. And they are out there before before God in open dialogue. And he is like us in that he, he has let his anxieties pre-publish his own bad news for him in advance. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in an anxiety tailspin? Those are great, right? Well, I guess the blessing will not go to the, any offspring of mine. I guess my name will be the one who did not have an heir. I guess God is done with me. I guess I move, that move out here was a wasted hardship upon my wife. Well, God has, just, has God just wasted my time? How is this going to be worth it all? You ever been there? 
I have. Lord, why'd you bring me to Maryland? Why do we have to go through that, Lord? What was that about? What? I guess I was just here to lose and just keep losing, Lord, and be betrayed and feel kicked on. How is it going to be worth it all? Abram took his honest anxieties to the Lord. And note how God reminds him of the fact that not only will he bless him, but he's really going to multiply his offspring. And God reminds us too that following him by faith will be worth it. Note verse 6 now. Verse 6 pops up with delight. It sneaks up on us. Verse 6 is kind of sneaky. Sneak attack here. I mean, I want to highlight to you, this, we, we think the other parts of the text are the drama of the text. I think this is the most dramatic event in the passage. The word came to Abraham and faith came by that hearing. Faith and trust in God comes by hearing God's word. Why would we not open God's word? Why would we not share God's word? Why would we not preach God's word? Faith comes by hearing God's word. The word came to Abraham. Faith comes by hearing. And so the word believe comes from the root meaning to establish or confirm. It's actually our word, amen. And God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham believed the promise. Beloved, believing signals that a person decided to treat God's word as certain and has made a commitment to do what God wants. You and I are saved by grace through faith. Trust in God's word. And that word is Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the personification of God's revelation. The Word made flesh. You see, the promises are yes in Him, Abram. The promises are yes in Him, Laura and Ed and Jackson and North Shore. The promises are yes in Him. And can you see what the passage along with the rest of Scripture is teaching? We can put the weight of our souls on the promise of God's Word. Where else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Life. What happens next? After he believes, here is the drama. God counted it as righteousness to Abram. This is, this is the say what of the passage. Garrett Morris, 1970s SNL. Say what? This is the say what of the, of the passage. God did what? God credited righteousness to Abram. He chose to count Abram righteous by grace through faith. Don Carson said it like this. It doesn't mean that Abram earned brownie points for deploying such a righteous faith. Rather, the idea is that what God demands of His image bearers, what He's always demanded, is righteousness. But in this sinful race, what He accepts, crediting it as righteousness, is faith. Faith that acknowledges our dependence upon God and takes God at His word, this faith of Abram is what makes him the father of those who believe, according to Romans 4 and Galatians 3. End quote. How would God make Abram's name great? God made him the father of those who put their trust in God for, for their righteousness, for their salvation. We need righteousness because we have none. We have unrighteousness. It was not his good deeds or defeat of the warlords last week. No, he is famous not for those victories. He is famous for saying, I believe, I will trust in the Lord. That's what he's famous for. Don't miss that. If you do not see this in the passage and understand that in light of the whole Bible, you've misread Abel. He's famous. God's Word says, the Holy Spirit says, for putting his trust in God. Abel's faith gives us, <laughs> who have not done the things he's done, it gives me a lot of hope. 
If God saved him, he could do the same for us. I don't need to work for my salvation, but I need to trust Christ for it. And Abram had a living faith, according to James. He not merely professed it, he possessed it by grace. His life showed it. Friends, there's not a sweeter doctrine for the desperate in the room tonight that God would credit a believer with righteousness. We have no works to merit salvation. We have demerits in sin. But God has given us salvation by grace through faith in the Son, the one who is right, whose righteousness is credited to our account if we repent and believe. Friends, I hate debt. I hate it. Amen? Amen. I hate debt. I can't stand the stress that debt brings into my life. I used to have hair. <laughs> I hate debt. But friends, there's a debt. There is a debt far superior and weighted than anything financial I can mount. And it's the debt of my sin. God says our sins are as high as the heavens. As Pastor Ed tells us all the time, we are far worse than we can possibly imagine. That's true. All have sinned. That means rebelled against God. We are not mere mistake makers. But the law of God shows us how depraved in our selfishness we are. And the, you know, Terrell Owens is famous for standing in front of her microphone and saying, I love me some me. We laugh at Terrell Owens for that quote, but that's really all of us. We love me some me. We are selfish before God. We have all loved and entrusted and obeyed things and ourselves above God. We suppress, the, that we suppress the fact that we're made in His image and the truth. You see, the world says we can find ourselves, but God says we're lost. The world says we are alive in sin, but God says we're dead in sins and transgressions. The world says we owe ourselves. God says our sin debt is racking up towards death. What are we going to do with our sins? Can we ignore them by continuing to keep scrolling through our devices all the time? Can we undefile ourselves through good works? What can I do with this guilt and shame and defilement that sin has brought into my life? Is there anybody who can take it away? We've racked up so much sin debt that we are not only being crushed, but we are condemned under the weight of sin. Who can take this on? Who can pay such a debt? Friends, there's a, there's a dramatic moment in the Bible that I can't get out of my head. And I think, imagine the moment when John the Baptist's eyes must have been so white. And he looked, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who can do it. Who is this one? His name is Jesus. Whose day did Abraham see by faith? Jesus said he saw his day. Tonight I'm inviting sinners to put their weak faith in the mighty Son of God, Jesus. And if you do, God will credit you with righteousness. Jesus went to the cross not to be a martyr, but to take on your sin debt by being the perfect payment. And we know so because He was raised from the dead. He never sinned, even though He was tempted like we are. He never had sin within Him. He thought nothing of it to pay for our debt. And it was a mighty debt. Because He loves you. God loves you and me. God loves you. And He will forgive you and credit you with Jesus' righteousness if you take God's side against your sin and put your trust in Jesus. No more debt, just credit. The counting. You can, see, you can say tonight, I'm free. 
I'm clean because of that man, the Son of God, Jesus. God counted my trust in Him as righteousness. No more debt. Hallelujah. Let's be encouraged. Number three, the calling. The calling. Now I'm going to focus on verses 7 and 8 and then 13 and 6 through 16 now. Whitney Houston saying, how will I know if he really loves me? Abraham right here sings, how can I know if I will possess it? He does. He does. Just breaking it up for you a little bit tonight. But he asked that question, how can I know? Whitney had anxiety. Nobody answered her. We don't know what happened to the guy. We don't know if he really loved her. God answers Abram in his anxiety here. And I think Matthew Henry is right to see this is not as a grumbling question. You can read this passage and think, is Abram, is he just being stupid? Is he being, you know, just, you know, hard-headed here? No, I think Matthew Henry is right. This is not grumbling, but one who's asking for help with his faith. The feel of the text is like this. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You ever been there? I'm going to tell you, those, those words really are helpful in the New Testament. But God reminds him that, look, here's a, he called Abram, the calling. He called him to himself out of Babylon. Ezra and them were not the first called out of Babylon, but Abram was here out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Babylon, beloved, in the Bible is, is, uh, is the world. And so my encouragement to you tonight in thinking about the calling here is do you need assurance? Remember who initiated the relationship, beloved. It was God who initiated. God's calling summoned us to himself in mercy. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God's effectual call always produces the desired effect. And God's calling of Abram and Israel are given in light of producing his desired effect. Notice how God's calling here prefigures God's calling of Israel out of Egypt in the passage. Literally, Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And verse 7 reveals God's calling to bring you out and bring you in. In order, That's the, that's the, that's the makeup there. He brought you out to bring you in. And so he reveals the Exodus in advance, verse 13 to Moses, showing that God's people have always been created and summoned, called by his word. From creation in Genesis 1 to the call of Abram, from the dry bones in Ezekiel to the coming of the living word Jesus Christ, God has always created his people by his word. Jesus called his disciples. Jesus called Lazarus from the dead. God's divine summons are always effective. They were effective in the lives of Abram, Israel, and every sinner who ever repents and believes. Church, we need to remember how God's about his calling and his purposes. You know, we were in bondage to sin. We were in the world, under the devil, children of wrath. That's not a compliment. But God called us out from bondage to sin to Christ, to live. Listen how Paul uses Exodus language in Colossians 1. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, redemption means that Christ took on our debt, like I said before, as if it was His own, so that we could stand forgiven. Friends, can you see how His effectual calling by the Spirit took you out of that former way of life 
and placed you on the road to glory? Rosa was sharing me with her testimony tonight. Now, just a side note here. You can look in the passage. Note how God tells Abraham there are purposes he wants to accomplish and will bring to pass in his timing. Namely, glorify himself by judging Egypt for the enslavement of his people and then calls his people to plunder Egypt on the way out. That definitely happens. And Abram will die in peace after a good old age, very blessed. And God will call, his call will make the fourth generation return to the land at the appointed time for him to judge the Amorites. God is giving the Amorites, the Canaanite people, additional time before their sin escalates and brings judgment. Here's the picture. When all, this is what he's saying. Abram, when all this is fulfilled, the nations will be judged. Beloved, this passage prefigures when Christ consummates His kingdom. The nations will be judged. And so God's patience with sinners is attended right now to bring about repentance. How humbling. How humbling that God has all authority to judge and to cast sinners into hell. So non-believers here tonight, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ. Do not ignore God's kindness to you. Turn from your sins. Church, pray God would send forth His Word with power and call it people to Himself. Let's keep being encouraged. Number four. The certifying. The certifying. Verses 9 through 12 and 17 through 21. Where is I'm going I'm to focus tonight? 9 through 12, 17 through 21. The certifying. You expect... The first time I read the passage fresh and new, I, you have that sense like, is God about to, to check Abram after all these questions? Again, that's not the tone. That's not the, the, the sense of the passage. Far from rebuking Abram, God certifies his word to him with this sign. The drama builds with that, see that, that dreadful darkness reminding us of God's powerful presence that causes sinners to fear him. You can see it in other places in the Old Testament. These sacrifices cut in half symbolize the cutting of the agreement, the covenant between God and Abram. These parties to such an oath sign walked together into the space between the parts and they spoke their promises there between the sacrifices. The oath was especially sacred because of the shed blood and violation of it was considered great dishonor according to Jeremiah 34. But key key in on this. Who's the one who... Do both of them walk through? No. God alone passes between the pieces. Abram was not allowed to participate. Hebrews 6 says, referring to this event, when God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Friends, this is not Maverick's ego writing checks his body can't cash. Not even close. When God promises many offspring to the barren, it's no problem. God is God, and He had spoken, came to pass. With God's promises, it's always certifiably guaranteed. He backs up every promise with His person and His power. Nothing can stop Him from giving life where He pleases, even if no human resources exist at all. Romans 4, 17 reveals Abram believed the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. 
We're not putting our hope in some mere man church. We're putting our hope in the one true God. We're putting our hope in the one who's eternal, immortal, who knows all things, who controls all things, immutable, impassable, God. What was with the vision of the, of the fire pot and the torch, Pastor Garrett? Well, uh, Abram is enabled to see God entering here. And one scholar noted both elements, the smoking pot and torch, symbolized essential aspects of God. The smoke perhaps representing divine inscrutability and the flame, God's holiness and power. So God obligates Himself to fulfill the terms of His covenant and symbolically indicating that He Himself would split asunder if He failed to carry out His promise. Well, then you know, well that can't happen. It's gonna, it, this promise is going to be fulfilled. Both covenant partners would typically walk between, but here God is obligating Himself. Now, if you've joined a church and you've taken, if you've agreed to the church covenant, you have formally, publicly obligated yourself to this congregation to fulfill those promises. If you're married, you have made a public, formal commitment and obligation to someone. And I am amazed that God would commit Himself to people. That He would show such love towards us. The sacrifices point us, friends, to the sacrifice in which God fulfills His redemption in the death of Jesus. God the Son dared bear judgment, not for His unfaithfulness, but for ours. So not only was He true to His word, but He took on the ways we had failed and fulfilled all righteousness for us. And so we get to the new covenant. It was ratified when Jesus Himself paid the ultimate price for our sin. God obligated Himself to save and certified, to, certified it to me and you at the cross. Do you need a sign? Do you need to be clear that God loves you and that His, His Word is concrete? See the cross. But even more than that, see the empty tomb. Jesus is alive. Christ is alive. Jesus did not merely walk through a symbolic oath. He took on the curses when He was torn apart for our sins and our transgressions. He stepped into the pain. He stepped into that darkness, into the, into the flames of wrath. Judgment, friends, is due. And Jesus stepped out in front of it for you and me. Thank you, Jesus. The resurrection of Christ is all the certification we need to see. Well, let me conclude. Church, do you need encouragement tonight? God covers us. God counts to us. God calls us and God certifies us in Christ. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Are you? Let's pray. Lord, how wonderful it is to think of how kind you are to us. Lord, thank you that uh, salvation is by grace through faith. Make us all the more homesick for glory. Calls us to hate our sins more and calls us to love you more by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.